a hymn that uh, I like very much and uh, maybe a hymn that we don't sing that much. Uh, 382 in English. 382 in English. I don't know what is it in Chinese or Korean. Uh, sorry, not 382. Uh, where is this now? Sorry. Mm. Let me see here. Uh, I'm sorry, it's 582. 582. Chinese 426. Chinese 426. 582. There's some uh, seats, uh, saints, uh, up here and back here. There are two seats here. Uh, okay. <clears throat> we don't have piano, so we'll just sing it. Do you know this song? Trust and Obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. <clears throat> when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still, and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Not a shadow can rise, not a cloud in the skies, quickly drives it away. Not a doubt or a fear, not a sigh or a tear can abide while we trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Not a burden we bear, not a sorrow we share, but our toil he doth richly repay. Grief for a loss, not a frown or a cross, but is blessed if we Trust and obey, trust and obey, for there's no other way 
to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay for the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for them who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way. Be in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Then in fellowship sweet, we will sit at his feet, or we'll walk by his side in the way. What he says we will do, where he sends we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Let's sing the chorus again. Trust and obey. The way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and Obey. Let's take a little time to pray uh, with the sister next to you, huh? just for a minute or two. Amen. Amen. Okay, sisters, uh, so we continue uh, with these meetings uh, in Irvine from time to time, but um, 
uh, as some as I said uh, um, uh, before, um, I actually have prepared forty eight lessons for sisters. Forty eight lessons. Um, this is all complete, and I would say these lessons are, of course, compiled from the ministry of Brother Ni nee and Brother Lee. And if I may say so, this is a wonderful compilation. And so they represent the cream of the ministry, um, even in a kind of a crystallized form uh, of uh, our brothers speaking uh, to the sisters on matters related to sisters or women. And of course, this is a huge big subject and um, that's why we need 48 lessons. Now, uh, what I've been doing is I've been speaking with the help of these lesson outlines and material uh, from place to place, primarily in the churches in Canada. So at the beginning of this year, we began uh, to have meetings kind of like Saturday morning like this in different places. The first one was in uh, Richmond, Vancouver, or Richmond, British Columbia, that is um, uh, in the Vancouver area. Uh, I think that was either January or February this year. The second time, uh, I was in um, Toronto, and there we gave lessons three and four. And so, really, um, whenever there's an opening, there is an occasion like this, uh, I would like to finish these 48 lessons. They're being taped because I believe they are not only for sisters in one locale, they are for sisters everywhere. And so today, actually, you are kind of the live audience, but my speaking is actually to all the sisters. Um, and we will be covering in these two sessions this morning, Lesson 5 and Lesson 6. Now, uh, if there is a way, I would actually encourage you to get the speaking uh, from Lessons 1 through 4. Because uh, these four lessons, as a, 48 lessons as a syllabus, uh, builds, uh, it is uh, ordered in a particular way. They're not just randomly spoken according to inspiration. So um, it's like a course, it's like a class. So we don't, you didn't um, uh, hear, you know, lesson one through four. So I hope there's a way that you can access them. If the church here, the sisters here would like to access them, I will find a way for you to be able to do that, either by audio or by video as well. Uh, if the sisters in the different halls or different districts or you like to come together and watch this, which I recommend very much, not because I'm the speaker, forget about that, but because of the uh, importance, of the critical importance of these uh, lessons as a kind of spiritual education that you need. I'll try to help to, uh, make those uh, available so you can get to them because you need lesson one to go to lesson two, two three, and four. For example, the, um, the last two lessons, three and four, 
was on this very, very important matter of the difference between male and female. Don't think the Bible does not talk about that. Um, and especially with the uh, age that we're living in, that blur that distinction between male and female, uh, between the two genders, uh, we need the word of God. We need the word of the truth to know these things. Otherwise, you will operate or live according to what the world puts into you. And sorry to say, especially today with the young generation, that's all they get. And what they get is wrong. What they get is not the truth. So we need the word of God. So if you are interested, um, we, we will work something out. We can talk to the, the leading brothers about this. Would, would you be, be interested in that? I mean, you can organize amongst yourselves or with the help of the brothers, uh, even either as a church or hall or district, to get into that. Now, today, uh, with lessons five or six, actually we come to two very, very heavy, and I mean to use that word carefully, heavy lessons. They may, in fact, be lessons that you don't like to hear as sisters, as women. Um, actually, I think these lessons are not just for the sisters. These lessons are for all the saints, uh, of course, including the brothers. Um, the second meeting, for example, I will let you know now, I'm going to talk about head covering, the significance of head covering in the Word, in the Bible. Um, no, I'm not here to promote head covering. I'm not here to tell the sisters what to do. Um, Brother Lee himself said in all his ministry, life of ministry, uh, for, for decades and decades, um, he had never given a message to tell the sisters to put on the head covering. He spoke the truth concerning the matters. You know, even we will be very much relying on, of course, 1 Corinthians life studies and other parts of the ministry to know these things. So, and he also said that it is uh, one thing to have that physical symbol. Um, it's another thing to have, uh, according to doctrine, it's another thing to have to possess that reality. Um, you may have that symbol, but actually you don't have that reality. You can put on a head covering, but actually you're living in rebellion. Then that means nothing. That is a mere formality. But anyway, we'll get there. <clears throat> I say again, that is not just a word for sisters, that is a word for brothers. When I prepare these uh, messages, uh, this word speaks to me first. Because as a man before God, I'm a female, just like all of us are, being wife of our only husband, Christ. Now, with lesson five, and I actually uh, think that... Um, 
Um, a lot of these words speak for themselves, um, but as always, it is important to uh, base our sharing, our receiving of the word uh, on the scriptures themselves, on the word of God. We have no other standard, sisters, we have no other higher authority when it comes to the truth than the very word of God. So you must not only love and treasure the word, you must respect and obey God's word. This should be our attitude. That's why I call this song, Trust and Obey. Now, um, in the scripture reading, and I will read it to you because not all of you, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> have the, by the whole Bible with you. So, <coughs> the first is uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 through 14. <coughs> about the creation of man, including the male and the female. Um, in this case, the creation of the female. So I'm going to read. And Jehovah God said, it is not good for a man to be alone. I will make him a helper as his counterpart. Now Jehovah God had formed from the ground every animal of the field and every bird of the heaven. And he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called any living animal, that was its name. And the man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of heaven and to every animal of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper as his counterpart. And Jehovah God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. And Jehovah God built the rib, which he had taken from the man into a woman, and brought her to the man. So it is important that we remember how the woman came about. Technically and actually, God never created a woman. God created only Adam, a man, the male. And it was out of this man, you know, the, the rip on the side, that Jehovah built a woman using the element of from a man uh, for his counterpart and as his helpmeet. And the man said, this time, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman. That's the name. Um, therefore, uh, because out of man, this one was taken. Even in the English word, the word man is in the word woman, right? Woman. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they too shall, be, uh, they shall become one flesh. So that is the first. And now I come to chapter three of a very unfortunate episode of how man fell the first time through the seduction of 
the God's enemy, and that is Satan in the form of a serpent. So I read chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other animal of the field that Jehovah God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say, You shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, Of the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will become like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to to be desired to make oneself wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband with her, and he ate. Well, we're not going to this morning spend time to talk about the meaning of that conversation between the woman and the serpent. Suffice it to say that this conversation should not have taken place. And it is because of this conversation that man fell. Now, verse 15 um, is that verse, am I right? Verse 15. Uh, yes. And I will put, you know, this is the first prophecy in the Bible uh, from Jehovah himself. And I will put enmity between you, referring to the serpent, and the woman. Not the man, and the woman. And between your seed and her seed, he will bruise you on the head, but you will bruise him him on the heel. You just remember that. A seed of the woman is the one who will crush the serpent's head. Now we come to 1 Corinthians uh, 11.3. 1 Corinthians 11.3. Actually, I now like you to read this with me. This is in the New Testament. 11.3, 1 Corinthians. That Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. Now, can we read it again, please? But I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man, And the man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. Clearly, this verse indicates the existence of an order, of a divine order in this universe that has to do with something called headship. Specifically, it is made very, very plain that Christ is the head of every man, and man is the head of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. Do you see that order here? Woman being under the man, man being under Christ, and Christ being under God himself. 
I hope you can take this verse and go back and pray read it. Pray the word of God. All right. So lastly, let's read 1 Timothy chapter 2, 13 and 14. Chapter 2, 13 and 14. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, having been quite deceived, has fallen into transgression. Of course, this is going to be an important verse that we're going to rely on uh, in the lesson this morning. Um, with two very, very important concepts here. Adam being formed first before Eve, and then it was not Adam who was deceived, but it was the woman who was. Okay, so we have the, you have the outline uh, with you. <clears throat> the uh, lesson title is Woman. In uh, three realms, or three aspects. Number one, in God's creation. Number two, in man's fall. And number three, in God's promise. You will see how the significance of a woman in these three great things. God's creation, man's fall, and God's promise. And God's promise, no doubt, is tied to God's salvation. In all these three things, the woman play a huge role. A huge role. So Roman number one is again this verse. I want you to know. The apostle wants us to know this. You know, there are 11 problems, so-called, in the epistle to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. This is, um, there's the first six, all the way up to chapter 10. And here, starting with first, uh, first, uh, chapter 11, would be the remainder. And the, the second group of problems, so to speak, uh, from chapter 11 through chapter 16, the end of the epistle, has to all have to do with God's governmental administration. Those, these are not little problems. They're not even moral problems, per se. They are problems that touch, that touch God's government. All right? Now here, I would like to say something first to even maybe some younger sisters or newer ones among us, that usually uh, in the uh, Christianity or the Christian religion, when we talk about God, we talk about Jesus, you know, we talk about, you know, uh, uh, God's salvation, so forth, we usually stress love, we stress grace, we stress mercy, we stress life, we stress all those things. And 
Rightly so. Rightly so. But seldom do we talk about God's rule, God's throne, God's kingdom, God's government, God's ordination, God's administration, God's order. I will tell you, actually, without those things, there would be nothing. When it comes to God, the first thing we have to acknowledge is that there's a throne related to God. The first thing is not even that God loves or that God is love, which he is. But this one who loves and this one who is love occupies a throne, sits on a throne. And that throne, anytime you have a throne, you know by extension, by inference, that there is a kingdom. There is a rule. There is a government. Nothing is greater than this in this universe than the throne of God, where God reigns and rules over all. That means he is on the top. That means he is the head. That means he is the king. No one, no one can displace him. No one can usurp that throne. Everything and everyone in this universe, indeed the whole universe, are under this throne. When that is the case, and that was the case, the whole universe is in order. However, we all know, according to the prophecies and and many scriptures, that once upon a time, in the first of the angels, who were creatures before man was made, as ministers, as actually priests of another epoch, of another era, of another time, to worship God, uh, to praise God, uh, to serve God, there was a top angel, an archangel, whose name was Lucifer. He was the most pretty. He was the most dressed. He was the most adorned. He was the anointed cherub. You know, you know, in the tabernacle, there is a, what, in the holiest of all, a, what, an ark. And that is where God is. And there's this physical cherubim, yeah, you know, okay, that 
have their wings like this, one on each side to cover, if you will, that ark, where God would meet with man in the tabernacle. And he was that cherub. You just consider, no one is as close to God as that archangel. He was in God's presence and even covered that ark. Such a one, one day, pride was found. And he began to want to be someone and be something, and not just be something, but with a heart to replace God on the throne, to be God himself. That thought is the source of all rebellion and disorder in this universe until today. And so this, he did that, and because of it, God cursed him, and God cast him away from where he is, where he was, cast him down, and along with him, some angels under him. And this Lucifer would become Satan. So don't think Satan was made Satan. Satan was an angel, the top angel, a servant of God. But because of the sin of rebellion, he was, he became the source of all lawlessness. This is serious. Sisters, I want to firstly impress you this morning. You must have this view. You must have this vision based on this is not a fairy tale. This is the word of God. That brings us way back to see where all the disobedience, all the lawlessness came from. And from then on, this universe had a rebellion. And Satan and his angels was cast into, from the heavens to the earth, actually to the air. And the air that surrounds this planet, this earth, became his ruling place. And the angels that were under subservient, subservient to him became the evil spirits. And that became a kingdom that he established. And it is called the kingdom of darkness. The satanic kingdom of darkness, where he rules in rebellion. Of course, there were some other angels that did not follow, that still serve God until today. In fact, Hebrews tells us these are our ministering spirits. Now, I'm just saying all this in a remedial way in case we do not know that story. So, sisters, you have, fundamentally, you have to acknowledge such a fact. 
I say again, those words that I just used before on the throne, on the kingdom, on government, of, on administration, on God's rule, this is center to God and to everything that has to do with God, including his economy, including his will, including his counsel, including his plan, which we're all part of. You shake that throne, you take away that throne, there will be nothing. Everything is based on that. And because Satan became Satan, and so God had to do something to deal with his enemy, and he would not deal with him directly because he was the creator. He needed another creature to deal with this creature. And that is the reason why God made man. That's why you and I were made. Not just as an accident. We were made, number one, to express God's glory. That's why we were made in his image and with his likeness. But more than that, more than that, we were made, we were given the power, the authority to rule for God this earth. And so in God's plan, man's creation was to restore God's authority in this universe. With man defeating Satan and taking the lead to obey God, to live under God, to dwell beneath his throne. Of course, this man fell, and that's the story. This very, very sorry episode in chapter 3 of Genesis. We'll come to that. Because of Satan himself, Satan, man, instead of fulfilling God's, this, this, this high purpose of God, he fell prey to the rebel, the original rebel. And by that fall, man joined the rebellion against God. Instead of obeying God, man actually joined Satan and the evil spirits. So that in the air are the evil spirits and on the earth are the evil men. All in one kingdom. Now to resist God. To deny God. To stand against God's rule and God's authority. And this is why God has a plan of salvation. Listen, God's salvation in this light is not just that he had 
pity on sinners, that they're going to burn in hell, uh, they will suffer eternal perdition or damnation. No, no. God wants to save man, to redeem man back to himself. So that this man, this corporate man, would become the church. And what is the church? The church is that entity that is the body of Christ. And according to Ephesians chapter 1, it says that Christ would be head over all things to the church. So the church's main testimony, apart from being God's, uh, Christ's organic expression as his body, was to be a testimony in this universe, specifically to Satan. That she is fully under Christ as her head. Amen. That's the declaration. That's the testimony. Amen. The church would take the lead to return to be under God's government. The church actually and the kingdom cannot be separated. The proper church is the kingdom of God. The church is where God's throne is set. The church is where God can tell the whole universe to Satan that my rule has been restored. I have free authority here. My government is here. My ordained arrangement is here. And here are people. They realize this. They live this way. And this testimony will put Satan to shame. This testimony is what will defeat Satan. And sisters, we are in the church. We're not just in some church life or some good times, you know, happy place, um, uh, enjoy, have some enjoyment. You have to realize why we're here. What is the church's role? What is the church's testimony? You and I, every day we're here declaring to the whole universe, we are under God. Amen. Whilst the whole earth and all of the things in the air are in massive rebellion. We stand here and say no. We will trust and obey. Amen. We will come back to God's purpose in his creation of man. 
We're here to represent God. And by doing so, we rule on his behalf. And so, sisters, to touch these things, you must put aside your concept. You know, I'm going to speak more and openly. Today, one of the most prevalent and powerful philosophies that drive society, not only in the Western world, but even in less developed places, because of the internet, because of all the proliferation of ideas, ideologies, is something called feminism. I'm going to talk more about that. And I'm sorry to say that this kind of thing has invaded society and it has even invaded our minds, the minds of believers, maybe your minds. We may not have the consciousness of being rebellious or, or the intention, but because of these ideologies, because of these concepts, we live in a way, we exist in a way that is not right. You know, we all live according to our concepts. You know, you, have, you, you hold these concepts, that's how you live. And what I'm doing here is not to advance my concept or some Christianity concept or some confusion concept for the Chinese and the Koreans here. No, no, we have to see through this. We have to push aside all these clouds, all this fog, and see the throne. That is at the center of this universe where God is in the third heavens. This is a very serious matter, sisters. If you see this, I tell you, your Christian life may have a wholesale change. Brothers as well. It's not about being a better Christian. It's about seeing a vision and being controlled by it and you just live this way. You will have no arguments, you have no debates. You have no counter thoughts. In your being, there would be just a big and loud amen. That's it. And this morning I present this not to argue with anyone. There's no argument here. Either you say amen or you don't. All right, with that long introduction, which is necessary, let, let's go through this. And I'd like to even tell you um, a source material that you can go back and read on your own, which I strongly suggest. In fact, I'll tell you right now. Uh, there are many places in the ministry, but 
I'll give you three, you know, uh, uh, for this lesson. Number one, there's a set of books called the Conclusion of the New Testament, you know, a, a big set. Message 312. 312. And there's the Life Study of Genesis, Message 18. Message 18. And then there is also a book called The Wonderful Christ in the Canon of the New Testament, Chapter 1. All right? The Wonderful Christ in the Canon of the New Testament, Chapter 1. And you can get a lot more than my speaking today. But let's go on. First, A, 1 Corinthians 11.3, we just read, reveals the universal headship. In the universe, there is the headship, not a headship, but the headship. There's only one headship. God is at the top as the head of Christ. Look, even Christ has a head. Sisters, you may say, I don't want nobody to be my head. Even Christ has a head. Even Christ. Look, you just go and read Revelation chapter 4 and 5. That is a scene of a throne. The throne of God, the eternal one in this universe. And eventually in the midst, you know, there are all these 24 elders and all the living creatures, etc. Representing the entire universe there. Prostrating and worshipping the one on the throne. And that is God himself. And eventually, there in, on his right hand was a scroll that no one was found worthy in the entire universe to open. Then there was a lamb, as if he was freshly slain, stood up and he took that scroll. And they all worship and say, worthy is this lamb. Who is qualified to open this throw? And that scroll we know is the scroll of God's eternal economy. But my point is this. My point is there is a throne. You know the moment, I mean, John was in spirit and carried away to the third heavens. He saw the first thing is the throne. Much like Ezekiel. The first thing of all spiritual vision must be the throne. But there is a lamb who stood up to execute or to carry out the will of that throne. And that was, that is Jesus, the Lamb of God. That is Christ, the Son of God. Even in the Godhead, you will find submission. You'll find headship and you'll find order, even in the Godhead. And here Christ is one, the one under God as his head to carry out God's universal administration. And there it says, Christ is the head of every man. So this is right. This is it. And the man is the head of the woman. Sisters, this is it. 
When you say amen to this, you're saying amen to the headship, to the ordained headship of God, to the throne, in fact. No questions asked. And human beings are the head of all animals and plants, you know. Man is supposed to rule over this creation on the earth, unfortunately, because he joined the rebellion, he lost his authority, and now he couldn't do that. B, in the divine governmental ordination. I, I like you sisters to appreciate words like this, ordination. That means it's not by vote. It's not by your feeling. It's nothing. It is ordained. It is God-ordained. You know, from very early on, I was instructed, there are many things you just don't question. You just don't ask. You just say amen, amen. to the word of God. Amen. Now, there are other things you should pose questions. Because they are questionable in society on the earth. I'm not saying we should all be dumb, brainwashed, and become just a robot, right? To believe whatever people say. I'm not saying that, but I'm talking about the word. When it comes to the word, you don't question. You don't argue. You accept God's ordination and blessed is the person who would do so. Woman is under the headship of man. God created the female in this way. God did it this way. I know today if I go out there and talk this way, I will be stoned to death. <laughs> I will, people will say, we stone you to death because you have brought us back to the stone age. Don't you know society is so enlightened today that we have been finally liberated from eons of wrong and oppression, of inequality. Now you are dialing black the clock. We, 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 we women just finally got some freedom. Now you're bringing us back under the man to say man is the head. What? I have not broken my glass ceiling yet. <laughs> and where is that man that is worthy of my being under? Nowhere. <laughs> Sisters, I like, that's why I want you to see beyond all of this, to see the throne of God. That's the only thing that I care for this morning. Among the unbelievers, the women are not under the headship of men. And since the men do not have Christ, 
they are not under the headship of Christ and thus are not under the headship of God. So today, in society, among the unbelievers, especially, sorry to say, even believers, the women are not under the headship of men. They, 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 they claim they must unshackle themselves. They must unfeather themselves from this terrible, man-made, man-created, um, uh, oppressive arrangement. This cruel arrangement to put one gender under the other. And since men do not have Christ, they are also not under the headship of Christ. In a way, I don't blame the woman. In a way. Because men themselves are not under Christ. They're not under the headship of Christ. And therefore, they're not under the headship of God. And when you are like this, you have no right, no place to be over anybody. Because you yourself are not in submission. You yourself are not under the headship. And that is the fallen situation that we're in, in society today. This whole world that we're living in is just a huge, chaotic disorder of lawlessness. Lawlessness rule. Something is ruling still. It's called lawlessness. Man or woman. Nobody listened to nobody. Rebellion in every corner. However, when we receive the Lord and became believe, become believers, Christ becomes our head. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Do you realize when you got saved, Christ did not only become your savior or your life or your redeemer, he became your head. Amen. How many believers know that? The day when I was saved, I have a new head. I have a new head. Amen. And that head is Christ. Amen. And even I'm supposed to enjoy his headship. Headship is for ruling. But I tell you, headship is for enjoyment. Christ is everything for our enjoyment. Our enjoyment of Christ. I love this word enjoyment. Don't, don't look at this thing as some terrible, uh, uh, this, this, this terrible setup where, where you're going to be just pushed and, and, and mistreated, abused and whatever, enslaved and tyrannized. No. We got a wrong concept. I tell you, to be under God's headship is the most pleasant thing. Amen. 
in the human life, the most pleasant thing in the universe, the greatest enjoyment. In fact, life issues out of authority. The river came out of the throne. You want to enjoy the Lord, enjoy God, enjoy Christ? I tell you, you can only do so when Christ is your head. So to be under the headship is a wonderful thing. Our enjoyment of Christ as our head brings us under the headship of, uh, the headship of God and sets up a proper order between man and woman. So don't try to go and, okay, now let's see how we can correct things. Um, this afternoon, I'm going to have a conversation with my husband, right? Just, just see how to order this thing. <laughs> because I heard this message and it won't work. You know what you need to do, sisters, and so, so uh, me too. No, it's not just you, it's me too. Is you should start enjoying your head. Amen. Christ as your head. You know, the real submission is Christ's submission. He was the one, he is the one who take, took takes the lead to submit to God. Read your four Gospels again and find out how the Lord Jesus lived in full submission to his Father, doing everything according to the Father, praying to the Father, contacting the Father, would not live independent of the Father, trusting the Father, speaking the Father's word, doing the Father's will, working the Father's work, seeking the Father's glory. I mean, I tell you, here is one who is enjoying the Father to the uttermost. He took the lead. He paved the way. And he set up a model life for us to follow. And sisters and brothers, today we're here to follow his footsteps. As he submitted to God, we submit to him. And in that submission, in that orderly condition, I'll tell you grace flows. This throne will become the throne of grace. Life Supply will be there. All the provisions that we need will be there. Even the real submission will be yours. Not your clenching your teeth to submit. You, you, you follow me? Amen. But submission as Christ will what? Will become your joyous portion. There's no way to fix up this society. You can tell them all these things. It won't happen because the poisonous, rebellious nature has been injected into us. It's something even right now coursing in our blood. The moment we're in the flesh, we're setting our mind on the flesh, that's automatic. You don't need to try to rebel. You will rebel. We are a big rebellion. Me too. 
I don't want to listen to anyone. I want to throw off everything. I want to be free. I want to be my own boss. I want to be independent. And that is the principle of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Rebellion leads to independence, just like this country. It rebelled against England, and now it's become an independent nation. But that's not what we're talking about, is it? <laughs> e, hence we must enjoy Christ as our head in order to live under God's headship, the divine authority, and to keep God's ordained order in his administration I would just say again, underscore that word, enjoy. Enjoy means receive it, take it, apply it, practice it. Enjoy him as your head. Tomorrow morning when you get up, don't just say, Lord, thank you for being my life. How about change? And say, thank you for being my head. Lord, I was once headless. I was once part of the rebellion. Now I've been brought back under your headship. I'm part of your body. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for being my head. I want to live this day under you, Lord. And by this, I would know how to be with my husband, with man, with others. A proper order in this universe can only be restored in this way. Okay. When we live under God's headship, the divine authority, and we will keep God's ordained order in his administration. My goodness, you just don't know how this much this means to God. If God can even find one man or one person on the earth, one out of seven billion, that is under his authority, that's a shame to his enemy. Just one. Just you, just me. I tell you, even in the coming kingdom, after the Lord's return, rebellion would not have been eradicated. Because Satan will come out again after a thousand years. There's still Gog and Magog, that nation. Rebellion's still there after the 1,000 years. Now, I know that because of time, I actually today cannot go to lesson six. You may breathe a sigh of relief <laughs> because I, that means I'm not going to talk about head covering. <laughs> Sisters, I am belaboring these things not to bore you, not to... But this is so essential. It's life-changing. 
It should be life-changing. Don't take this as a lesson, as a message. Okay, I'm going to finish two, and then we can have a break. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Now, this is important in 1 Timothy 2.13. Paul said that. Paul's word of explanation in 1 Timothy 2.13 brings us to the beginning. Now, what is the Lord's recovery? The Lord's recovery is to go back to the beginning. The current state of affairs is degraded. It's wrong. It's ruined. So don't take anything today as standard. We've got to go back to the beginning. In the beginning, how was it? That's our standard. That's our gold standard, okay? God always wanted <clears throat> to bring us back to the beginning. Now, in this matter of man and woman and the order between them, what did Paul say? In 1 Timothy 2.13 gives the first reason that a woman should subject himself to man. This is the first reason. Paul was quite the attorney. Paul was quite the lawyer. He didn't just say things. He had reason. Proper reason. It's the first reason that a woman should subject herself to man is because Adam was first formed and then Eve was built. In fact, Eve was built using man as the material, as the raw material. Now, I know there's words that says, you know, uh, uh, women come out of man, and then man also came through women through birth. I mean, that's also in the word, too. These are facts. But here, we're stressing this matter of the order or the headship according to God's ordination. And that is Adam was first created and then Eve. Therefore, a woman should, should subject himself to man. Okay. Uh, three. Adam was not deceived but the woman, this is in the next verse in 1 Timothy 2, having been quite deceived, has fallen into transgression. <clears throat> uh, you may say, Paul, I don't like you. You don't know these things. Even you yourself are not married. You're probably a woman hater or something. <laughs> I don't think so. I think Paul was inspired by the Spirit to write these things in a very rational manner. Here is the, A says, the second reason that a woman should subject himself to man, because Adam, technically, was not the first to be deceived. Woman was. All right? Woman was the first to be deceived. And then man, that is collectively, fell into transgression. B, Eve was deceived by the serpent. We read the story just now. Because she did not remain in subjection under the headship of Adam, but overstepped her position 
to contact the evil tempter directly without her head being covered. Now, sisters, will you not be stirred up in your emotions right now? But let's, as, as Isaiah, come, let's reason together, all right? The account, clear account in Genesis 3 was that Ad, excuse me, ser the serpent Satan with the uh, sinister, evil intent to damage man and to poison man and to cause man to fall and join him in this universal rebellion. And by this, he would sabotage God's plan. Right? In his creation of man to defeat Satan. But he also knows, Satan, that between the two, the man and the woman, the woman is the weaker vessel. You know, I think it's in Peter, right? In Peter, 1 Peter 3, right? It says the woman, man should uh, be with the wives according to knowledge, because the woman is the weaker vessel. He, Satan knew that for sure. I think when God was creating man, he was watching. And so rather than going to man, to the man, he went, he targeted the woman, the female, for cause. Because that's the weaker weaker link between the two. Now, Brother Lee said, when he came to this point, he said this. He said, saints, I'm very strong about this. He, 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 he said this. I'm very strong. That means he had a real burden about this matter. Eve, if he, she, had known to keep the headship, to remain in the headship according to order, she should know. She really should have known by, by the way she was created and what, by what Jehovah said. She should have known. But you know what? She responded to Satan. That's, that's it. That's it. That triggers everything else. That one response caused the universe, or rather the earth, to be how it is today. It's not just engaging in a conversation with a stranger that is not good. It is saying, I don't need the man. I'm independent. I can say what I want. I can engage with whoever I want. I'm going to answer this question because I can take it. That step to respond to Satan's question 
was the woman's assumption of the headship. That's the first time a woman, without saying so, acted in a presumptuous way to be the head. That's what happened. That's what happened. Brother Lee said this. He said that if the woman knew and kept her position in the order, in the headship, he wouldn't even say, uh, no thanks. Uh, Oh, wait a minute. He wouldn't even say that. Uh, She, I should say. She would just what? fled, run away, without even batting an eye, without spending another split second, she would just run to Adam, run to Adam's side, because that's where she came out of, (laughs) and hide behind Adam and say, someone tried to talk to me. Yeah, I think the whole story of this earth will be quite different. Now, I like you sisters. Now, this is a word not just for sisters, because before God, even the male are the sisters. Now, this is a great lesson to learn even in our Christian life. how often we do things independently without running to our husband, without staying at his side, and without hiding behind him, and let him take it, let him do it. I am just under you. I'm just that woman, I'm just the wife. I'm just your helpmeet, your counterpart. According to the headship, I'm under you. I tell you, this, let me tell you, dear saints, this is the real Christian life. That you don't do it. He does it. You don't respond to it. He does. You don't react to it. He does. You go to him first. You contact him first. You hide in him first. You remain in him first. Him referring to Christ in our spirit. You see this? But this first feminist on the earth, our great, 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 great grandmother, the woman didn't do that. In two minutes, I will end this, this first session. Look, look, I must reread. She did not remain in subjection under the headship of Adam, but overstepped her position to contact the evil tempter directly without her head being covered. So here is not just about some physical head covering, right? This is about a condition of her head being covered by the man. 
being covered by the man, being, staying under the man, keeping her pos under position. No, she exposed herself. She got rid of her hair, so to speak, according to 1 Corinthians 11. She talked to the evil tempter. And she was deceived. And through, him, uh, through her, the man was also deceived. Eve, number two, uh, one, the inward cause of man's fall, inward cause, was the woman's assuming the headship. Eve was ensnared by the serpent because she forgot her husband at that moment. I think so. She just forgot. She had a husband. The devil was crafty, knowing that the woman was weaker than the man. I mentioned that already. And he chose her as his target. Regardless of what the woman said to the serpent, as long as she stood there and spoke to him, she was wrong. For it indicated that she had assumed the headship. It's not even what she said or how, 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 how high an IQ she had or, or how smart and capable she was. It has nothing to do with those things. I, I know there's plenty of women that are smarter than men, plenty of wives that are more smarter than the, than the husband, plenty of that. But it is not about that. It is, a, it is about the headship. It is about the order. It is about the God-ordained position. In warfare, it's, this is what it's all about. In God's kingdom, this is the only thing that counts. Today, the whole thing is, uh, what is that word? Meritocracy, am I right? It's not gender, it's not this, it's, it's who are the smartest, rise to the top. There's that side. I'm not saying that's, that's wrong. But in what we're talking about, it's not meritocracy, okay? It's just God's ordination. That's it. That God, that, 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 that's. That's how God arranged things. And we do well to remain in that, to stick with that, to be very good with that. And we will be protected from the fall, from danger. All right. I think this is a good time to stop. Um, now, I think the food has been taken away. No more food, huh? <laughs> am, am I right, uh, Rich? Oh, I, I, there's, there's, uh, there's still some snack. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I don't think the sisters need that much snack. Uh, because of time, we end at, uh, uh, it's, uh, at, at 12 o'clock, right? Uh, so how about, dear, dear sisters, we come back at about uh, 1045, okay. all right? I think it's, it's okay. You can handle that. And that will give me the time to finish this first message. All right. Um, uh, still, uh, please have just a, a minute of some, uh, some touching of the Lord together. Huh? Amen. Just a minute, and then we can break. Amen. Amen.
Amen. Amen.